This is Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World, the catalog, the data catalog for leveraging agile data governance to give power to people and data. We're coming to you live from Austin, Texas. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverage in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World, and it is Wednesday, middle of the week, towards the end of the day, and it is that time to go take a break and let's go chat about data. And today is one of, it's such a cool episode because we have two people who are, I think, the, the brilliant brains right now in the industry on data engineering. This is Joe Rice and Matt Housley from Ternary Data and also the authors of this new recent book on fundamentals of data engineering from O'Reilly, which this is a must-read book, which I have not read yet, I will acknowledge, but um, I just got it. It arrived yesterday, uh, and I'm just so blown away. I was just telling you guys about how you guys have structured this book. I'm so excited to dive into it, and today we're going to chat a lot about this whole topic of data engineering. How are you guys doing? Good. How doing are you? Great. Well, it is great to guys to have you. Uh, we were on your on your podcast recently, and uh, you guys are just just killing it on 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 the conversations that everybody needs to be having. So, awesome. um, thank you. So, tell and toast. What are you drinking, and what are you toasting? What are we toasting? Uh, so, well, yeah, Matt, I, I'm drinking water, so I, I'm doing okay. I'm actually not doing as well as I would like. Uh, something just like some illness sort of flattened me last night, so I'm here. Drinking water rather than something more interesting. That's, that's actually vodka. I don't lie. That's right. That's right. It's yeah. Gonna oh man, I'm so sick. Uh, I gotta drink this whole pint that's of right. vodka. So, um, and my fake drink is green tea. Uh, so I um, I usually drink uh, uh, green tea in the afternoons. I, sometimes I'll down a bunch of espressos though. But today it's uh, so it's caffeine. Um, no alcohol because I gotta go drive my kid around uh, after this. So I uh, don't want to be that dad. So <laughs> how about you, Tim? Um, I am drinking uh, some Neptunia Hendrix. It's a very light kind of special blend of, of Hendrix gin with a little bit of lemon lime soda and a little bit of simple syrup. So just kind of a light kind of soda type drink. So not bad. Well, that's a good idea. I, I, I'm at the office and, and we're packed and everybody's here. So I didn't have time to go mix myself a drink. I'm, dr- having, I'm enjoying a Delicious IPA, the Steep Elm one. Is mm, nice. That's a good one. Good. It's a really nice one. Uh, and nice. anything you want to go toast for right now? Uh, toast to Matt's recovery. Uh, I, I hope that you you recover soon and, and you're uh, you know back to normal. So it'd be good to hang out again. Um, I also hope I didn't catch what you have. So toast to I my, so. my future recovery. So um, <laughs> we're just preempting that. So. Let's, let's toast for help. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. To health, yes, of course. Cheers. <laughs> All right. All right, we got our, our warm-up question. So what have you engineered or built that has gone terribly wrong? Um, I have an answer here. So so I was working on this project, and I uh, people know like I'm an orchestration advocate. I, I've worked with Airflow and some with other projects as well. And so I kind of, on this particular project, I resisted orchestration for a long time. I'm like, no, 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 let's keep it simple. And it eventually got complicated enough. So we need to do orchestration. So I set it up and then pretty soon, like 
the team wanted to do all this stuff to it that was just kind of abusive, like run jobs every five minutes and stuff. And so we started adding that. And then pretty soon I was like leaving this company and going to a different job. And so I tried to hand it off and it just didn't get handed off. Like no one picked up the slack. And then, like years later, it was still be, it's still running and not being upgraded and various other things. And I'm like, how do you guys still have this running? So, so I guess this, the, the point maybe behind this rambling is that as we, we develop things and as we deploy technologies, there's always this organizational problem of like ownership in addition to just building something out. So, yeah. 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 Who owns things is always a question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a really big question for sure. It's a huge question. <laughs> yeah. I, How about I you, Joe? Really, I can't really think of anything that I've uh, deployed where it broke per se um, or that I, I'm like, absolutely ashamed of. Um, I don't know if that's like me conveniently forgetting everything that I've <laughs> written that has broke, but um, yeah, it's it's a weird one. I, 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 um, I, I was thinking about that question before and I was like, I, I don't know. I think... If I, were to, if, I were to, if I probably engineered something wrong, it was probably on my calendar, um, which I'm trying to get better at. But I think as far as anything I, I've uh, deployed, um, you know, any technology, I, I can't, I'm proud to say I haven't, which means I probably wasn't trying hard enough or, or something like that, I guess. I don't know. So. You've been too much in your comfort zone then, probably. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Or, I, you know, I had a lot of people keep me in check, too. So there, <laughs> there's that. You tend to, if you're working a good team, then, uh, uh, you know, the chance of you... I would say that I had the chance to introduce a lot of things that probably would have been very disruptive. Yes. So, <laughs> but it's all counterfactual. So, <laughs> yep. You, Tim? Um, this is an interesting question. I'll, I'll give a really quick work example and then I'll give a quick personal example. So work uh. example is um, I um, uh, was working for a startup. I started a company like 12 years ago called uh, CorkShare. And it was actually like uh, a lot like uh, Pinterest. Uh, you know, around the same time, actually, the Pinterest was getting started. Hmm. Uh, and the day before our demo day for uh, uh, presenting it to investors, we decided to add a major new piece of real-time functionality to the platform. Uh, and the demo went down in flames. So that, that, that's an example of a thing that uh, I wish I could have back. My early days of product management realizing, wait, maybe you shouldn't be developing and launching brand new features the day before the big demo. <laughs> so, um, and then... Uh... So yeah, it's gutsy. Yeah, that was gutsy. It was a bad <laughs> move. And, uh, and now, now I know. Uh, personal thing, I was trying to put a big TV on the wall the other day, and I bought a mount to put it on the wall, and that was a disaster. I don't know. Me and TV mounts, that's that's. Rough. Wait, do you still have the TV? I do. I haven't destroyed okay, it. Okay, that helps. Okay, okay. It didn't fall or anything. <laughs> I, put, I put one up, too. We have this giant TV in, in the next room over here. And, uh, yeah, installing mounting that thing on the wall is... Uh, yeah, you're not sure if you're on a kamikaze mission or something because you know when you like let go of the tv you're like i hope this holds um yeah. and you mean you need so. more than two friends you need like five <laughs> to like position it exactly right you need more mm -hmm. control now was this like right after the cocktail hour or anything like that were there any extenuating <laughs> it's right after our show actually so That's yeah right. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't know i mean whatever i think i'm being bored I do not have a good answer for this one. I mean, yes, we probably built systems that should not exist anymore. I think that's some stuff. There's, there's some code that I've written. And I'm like, I don't think that code should be running, but it's still there. So, but it, nobody's ever complained. Yeah, but that's just it. it was, and Matt's example, I think, is, is actually really, it really illustrates um, the reality of a lot of things where I think as long as it's working, um, you know, it, 
is it worth redoing just for the sake of it? Like, you know, I, Matt and I always say, you know, I can't remember who said it, but that, you know, uh, legacy is a condescending term for things that make money. And I think as long as it's uh, working and doing its job and, and contributing something, then, you know, it did, I guess it maybe it did its thing. Could it be That's prettier? My, sure. My repost that, might be what we emphasize in the book, which is security above everything else. And so that's oh, the no, one no, thing no, I tell that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, keep stuff updated so it's secure. That's okay. Right, that's the other one. That's the other one. It's in a public S3 bucket, and here it is, by the way. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> there. All right, well, let's, let's dive in. On, all right, honest, no BS. Why are data engineers so fixated with tools today? Let me go start with this. Some, Joe likes to refer to this as shiny object syndrome, or I've heard it called magpie syndrome as well. Magpie syndrome. And, yeah. Yeah, meaning magpies chase shiny stuff. That's what they do. Oh, they do. didn't know that. It's, bits it's of crazy. glass and silver and metal. They'll, they'll gather pieces of metal in their nests. Any, anything that's shiny, they'll collect, supposedly. I mean, maybe this is some like Disney Channel mythology or something like this. But, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I think engineers, like, why do we get into engineering in the first place, right? Because it's cool. It's like, oh, look at this cool technology and scalable clusters and everything. And so I think there's a real tendency to chase after cool stuff just because it's cool. And then the second thing is like this idea of resume-driven development. That's another major problem. Yeah. I was thinking, because technology and, and tooling is the easy part. I, 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 I think I've counted like six conversations I've had today with people where, um, you know, it's something I was thinking a lot about this weekend while I was writing a, actually an article on uh, data modeling. And the, the question behind the article is, why is why is data modeling seeing a resurgence all of a sudden? Like, why is it a hot thing, yeah. right? So I had a LinkedIn uh, post in this last week just asking, okay, so what would you add to data modeling? And, you know, uh, it's a constructive conversation. But then I got thinking, okay, so like, why are we having this conversation? It's not like this is a new conversation. It's not like this is a new idea. I mean, um, you know, um, Cod and Chan and, you know, in the relational world, I mean, that, that's super old. It's older than all of us. Uh, and and then even dimensional modeling, I mean, that's nothing new either. And so, but why is it we're, we're rediscovering these ideas and these practices? Um, why are we having this conversation? Then it got me thinking, okay, so along the way, tooling's gotten really easy, right? So technology is a lot easier than it used to be. If you, if you rewind 15 years ago and we're trying to do data stuff, um, you know, I wagered a guess that it was, um, technologically more constrained and, and very much more expensive if you were, especially if you were had a uh, data warehouse, say, right? That was, you couldn't just go spin that up in the cloud. That didn't really exist back then. That, that wasn't an option. You would have to, um, you know, you have to do some arm twisting and uh, selling a bit of your soul to make this happen. And so now it's different, right? With, with, with a credit card, I, I can go spin up whatever tools I want. You know, in a lot of ways, I feel like technology is the easy part now, but um and what, what's happening is I feel like because technology is easy, um, but also because I, what I notice is there's a, a lack of, or I, I guess there's not as much emphasis on the people in the process of the people process technology continuum, uh, what you're seeing is an overweighting um, on the technology. And so you're, you're able to do a lot more stuff with the technology. It's easier to fixate on it, but you're still repeating the same dumb, same dumb processes over and over again. because you haven't built that foundation, right? You don't have... You don't know how to how to see with data, for example, right? You don't have data literacy, perhaps. Maybe you don't have good team dynamics. Maybe you don't understand data modeling, uh, you know, and, and all these other processes now. And, and so this leads you up to technology. So if you don't have that foundation, um, 
you know, you can certainly do a lot of things with technology, but I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a very substandard experience, which is, I think, what we're all seeing, right? Um, you know, while in our talk, you were hitting on knowledge as being something that's incredibly important. And, um, you know, to me, that, that's, a, that's a people and, and, a, and a processing, not a technological question. Like, that's just learning how to see better as a, as a person and how to, how to view the world better. Um, but that's, that's not a tooling question, but, it, but it's easy to gravitate towards tools and every, every vendor in the world wants you to, uh, you know, try their, uh, tool that will solve everything. And so that's, I think it's, that's why I think it happens a lot in addition to what Matt said. So, yeah, the comment you made Matt about <laughs> resume driven development, like kind of resonated with me a little bit that I, I, you know, there's a lot of, well, if I have like Dagster and DBT and Snowflake and, you know, a lot of these things on my resume that a lot of times, and this is where I wonder if the fault is a little bit on us as, you know, for those who have to hire data engineers and are building data yes. teams too, that we're also like kind of, we're looking for these hot button tech too. So we're part of the problem here. There definitely does seem a lot of like, well, what's hot, what's new. And, and maybe we fixate a little bit on the, uh, the technology skills and experience more than, you know, more more of the fundamental stuff. Like, how, how good are you at uh, interacting and collaborating with other people? We may think that we value that a lot in our resume, but are we are we valuing valuing it enough? Mm hmm. It's a very good point. Yeah. But, but I mean, okay. So so I mean, we all work in um, data, obviously. It's mm -hmm. duh. Um, and and I it, I think we all work with a lot of companies and, and talk to a lot of people. And so I mean, riddle me this. Um, in in companies where the uh, the tech stack on paper looks very um, uh, impressive and, and significant and, and could potentially you know do a lot of things, how often is it that you see um, these uh, data teams still stumbling uh, or or um, maybe not getting the value that they should out of the technology that they they have? So you're yeah. you're saying that the, the tech stack is established. You bring the people in, the data teams in. And then they're struggling with the current tech stack. How much? How, how much is that the actual scenario? Is that the question? It's one of the scenarios, yeah. And I guess you know, and and quote adding value with data, right? That's the other component of it. So, yeah. I mean, I, I go back to I go back to looking at the the entire landscape, right? You look at all the data landscapes, all the different tools, and I, we say this all the time, right? Every single feature is now becoming a category. This is just ridiculous. The amount of the tools you have to go through. But if we look at the principles, they really haven't changed. And you have it here in your book too, right? There, you have to ingest data. You have to store data. I mean, at the end of the day, the principles are you move data. You got to store the data. You got to compute the query of the data. And then you got to go use the data to, to answer some questions, right? And, and yes, there, there's more details to that stuff. But essentially, this stuff is the same. So if you have a, if you have the tools to go move data, you have the tools to store and compute data, if you have the tools to go analyze data, I think you have the basis there to be able to go start providing value. And then, and then I think that's when we start getting into like, oh, but there's that shiny object that makes this little thing more efficient, right? And I think a lot of these tools too are about, oh, we're, we, we drive more efficiency. It's like, okay, that drives your efficiency to your, to your data team, but are we generating more money, saving more money for the company? Are you making that argument? I mean, oh, we're more efficient, so this, but we'll probably do more things. But is that really happening or not? Because we just get we get so bogged down into like implementing all these technologies. I mean, so my answer, I mean, I think I'm answering coming up with the answer to your question, which is with if you have these bases of these principles, you should be able to go do a lot. 
and, and you should be able to be, provide value. Now the question is, can you provide more of that value, more of that value, can you provide it faster? And I think that's when we say, throw more technology, it's gonna happen. And I'm like, not always. And I think we really saw this in the Hadoop era, right? Like everyone wanted to jump on the Hadoop back bandwagon because it's like, oh, we're going to have big data. In fact, we have big data. It's lurking on our servers. We need to collect it and analyze it. And then in practice, some of these projects generated a lot of value. Many of them did not because there was a focus on the technology and not actually on the outcome that they were trying to achieve with this technology. And I think absolutely, absolutely the same thing can happen now with cloud, right? Like Snowflake, BigQuery, even Redshift are amazing technologies, but if you don't have a strategy for using them, if you don't have a purpose, if you don't have some organization of your data, then you're not going to get very far in terms of delivering value. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we had a big uh, sort of a skill rush when the sort of Hadoop movement happened, right? And it was like, you couldn't have enough, like people learning MapReduce and Pig and Hive and all these different things. And they were, they, we were talking a lot about the skill gap. And so a lot of people were focused on like, oh, got to skill up real fast on these new areas. Um, and I assume that was helpful as that was a hype topic. But now that, you know, we're kind of moving on to like, okay, this is just one more tool in the toolkit. You know, I, I wonder where that leaves us. Well, and I wonder if, you know, data engineers felt like, uh, do a lot of data engineers feel like that they valued diving deep into those technologies or did that end up being a little bit of a fool's errand? I think there's a couple of threads to this. Um, if, if you take a step back, uh, there's this, the, the skills gap as it's been discussed, uh, it mostly relates to technology, right? So do so I have a skill gap in, um, you know, Cloud technologies, for example, right? Go get certified. Now you're, you know, competent in using the cloud. That kind of thing, right? That's that's a remedy, but it doesn't it doesn't um, include or focus on again the people or process skills. This is what I see fundamentally is missing. Um, you know, is the uh, knowing how to knowing how to assess business problems. That's that's a people skill. Uh, knowing how to talk to stakeholders and um, you know and sort of um, map out. Uh, you know, what's, what's the path towards the goal that we're trying to achieve uh, with this data project, for example, right? That's, um, that's something I think that's extremely underrated. But when I see most data projects fail, it's because of, of that specific thing, like asking the wrong questions. That has nothing to do with whether or not you're good at Hadoop or you're good at, um, you know, uh, Velux, the, the new uh, query engine that Facebook just open sourced the other day or whatever, right? I, I'm talking about recent old stuff and everything in between. And it's like... It, why is it that, you know, I've been in data for, for, you know, a long time now. And it's like, why are we still asking the same questions that we've been asking for well, as long as I've been in? And when I talk to people like, you know, Bill Inman, as long as he's been in it, we, we've, we've, we're fundamentally like in this hamster wheel of asking the same questions. And I think new vendors, I, new tools, new tech, same questions, same questions. And I was, you know, I, I was thinking a lot about this over the weekend, uh, you know, cause I just have a very exciting life. Um, but the, the questions that kept coming up as, 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 as writing and thinking as well, you know, I'm asking the wrong questions about uh, modeling, actually. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not assessing it from the reason why we've been sort of, um, you know, recycling the same stuff over and over. And again, it does come back to, I think fundamentally, we're, we're not upskilling people in the right areas. We're expecting them to have tech skills, but that is like a component. And I would say, a, a, you know, maybe 16% of the way there in terms of you need the, the people skills, you need to understand how to assess problems, you need the processes to put those in place. Technologies are to enable it after. And I know this is something that a management consultant would tell you, but um, 
you know, successive management consultants, I would say is pretty mixed too. So why are we here? Okay. So, so what are the things that we should, that we should be telling kind of the data engineers today that you should focus on these types of skills? You said one, how to assess problems. I, I got mine and I rant them all the time. I don't know. I want, I, I'm going to shut up now and let you guys speak. <laughs> Matt? I mean, we, we dedicate a whole section of the book to actually choosing technologies because in most, with the flexibility of the cloud, in most data engineering jobs you're going to run into, in architecture jobs, in the current market, there's going to be some degree of upgrading and changing technologies and such. And I, I don't think we spend enough time talking about actually assessing technologies based on business problems and then making choices yep. in that kind of framework rather than just picking really cool stuff, right? Like all my friends are using Snowflake. Therefore, I should use Snowflake. That's not a good reason to use Snowflake. There are lots of great reasons to use it, but that's not a good one. And that's kind of how we do things right now. I don't know. Joe, you go. I mean, you call it the curse of familiarity, right, Matt? Yes. So this is, um, um, I mean, it's a classic hammer and nail situation. I mean, just people are comfortable using what they um, have always used. And so therefore, they'll use it. I mean, you, you see this all the time. Uh, say that you get a new tech lead or a new CTO in a company. What's the first thing that they do? You know, we're talking about this on the show with Milan last week, and he, he barred a good scenario. It's like that person blames the other person for all the problems, and it's like you know what the, what they did was stupid. Well, we're not going to keep that around. Um, so I know this tech stack I used at my last job, and as he correctly points out too, it's like well, I'm probably leaving my job for a reason. I maybe I wasn't that successful at it, so I'm getting into this new job now, or I can uh, you know become victorious uh, and um, and so forth. So they bring in the tech stack they're familiar with, and this. Happens all the time. Uh, I would I would wager probably dozens of times uh, each day or more. Um, and so that sort of gets you into this this interesting uh, you know vendor lock in before you even gotten locked in with a contract, <laughs> right? This, this reminds <laughs> me of um, we got football season coming up, right? And it reminds mm. me of like you get a new coach, right? And the yeah. coach brings their yeah. playbook and they're like, hey, this is my play. We do West Coast offense, right? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's you're exactly right though. That it's because that's. Um, I mean, that's just kind of how it works, I suppose, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but you see this in other other industries too. Um, you know, you're going to bring in your favorite, you know, whatever tool into your company because that's what you're comfortable with, and then everyone has to do that. And and hopefully, you know, this company hasn't seen like five versions of you in the last year because it's going to get very jarring very fast. So, um, but it, I mean, this happens all the time. So I'd say that you know, more than a lot of reasons, this is why tech stacks exist in companies. It's not because it was the best thing to do at the time is because it was somewhat of a, you know, a, a premeditated lock-in position that just sort of happened. As you say, West Coast offense, coach comes in, let's do it. Right. So. I mean, how do data engineers handle that? You know, so we're talking about like skills data mm. engineers need to be focused on. And it sounds like there's a pretty dynamic element of like, you know, being able to work in a uh, different, same patterns, different technologies, same patterns, different clouds. I don't know. Another one I would add, and Joe and I, there's a whole section on this in the book. Um, we actually talk about it quite a bit in many sections, is this notion of enterprise data engineering. And mm. um, especially in the early 2000s and with Hadoop and Spark and everything, there was this notion, this, this goes along with Adam Alsop's comment, um, who talks about data lakes being treated as this magical beast where no one wanted to do the old school stuff, right? It's like everything is new, it's big data. Don't worry about modeling. Don't worry about schema. Don't worry about cataloging. And enterprise data engineering is the stuff that like goes back to the 80s that maybe no one wants to do, but it's actually super, super valuable. Like thinking about your model, thinking about the purpose of the data, 
um, cataloging and tracking the data, data quality. Um, increasingly, we now call it data observability, right? This whole notion of monitoring the quality and quantity of your data in semi-real time so you can see when things are going wrong. And of course, you guys fit right into that data catalog. So right in the middle of enterprise data engineering. So, this is a really interesting notion you say, right? Because I think the people learn to become, or they get courses, they get certified right now to become data engineers and then and data scientists and take a master's course in the nine months or whatever. But like, but you're not, that's not the enterprise, right? And you can't expect to understand what the enterprise is going to look like in nine, nine months or a year for course that you're taking. But then they learn, they, they learn these things without understanding the context of what happens within an organization. And so I, I was, a, a couple months ago, I was I was invited to go give a, give a course on agile data governance to a master's in AI uh, course, and all these folks from industry they're learning all these great AI things to go learn, but they had no idea of oh I'm gonna go back to my office and I'm like oh give me the data and I'm gonna go do this cool AI stuff. I'm like but that's not gonna that's not how it's gonna go work. You're not just gonna go get data. You need to go understand the how what governance is and where where do you find that data. So there's this big disconnect on like, oh, what you want to go do and what the cool, pretty pictures and stories are telling you when you get into the reality is like, oh, the world is very different. And then and at the enterprise level, it's like, oh, we're not cataloging tables that have names that look very nice. And it's just a 10 or 15 tables. No, we're cataloging like thousands of tables with tens of thousands of columns with words that make no sense to anybody. That's the enterprise world. And I think this is the balance that that kind of that not everybody is aware of. And people dive in thinking we're gonna go hit the ground running. And I'm like, wait, there's a reality that you have to go encounter there. And I think this that that's the difference. Um, yeah, there's not really a class of knowledge that, that uh, prepares you for that. It's uh, you know, it's it would be called like 50 years of baggage and you're thrown into the middle of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's funny, too, because I think we do kind of a poor job of training data scientists on fairly standard tools, like even SQL. I find most data scientists are taught to do everything in Pandas and not to use much more powerful tools that are just available within their companies. And yes, there's absolutely a use case for Pandas, but like most of them could barely stumble around in SQL. And that's really unfortunate. And so there is this big disconnect between enterprise data that we've been doing since the 80s and people want to, wanting to completely reinvent everything, I feel like. Well, yeah, I remember there was a time when um, SQL was uh, you know, a four-letter word because uh, you know, that was um, you know, obviously Python and, and Scala and all these other languages were you know, how you're supposed to do data. And SQLs, you know, that, that's old school. I remember when data warehouses were, um, you know, left for dead. It was like, you know, uh, thrown to a dumpster, and, you know, and lit on fire. Then somehow it crawls out and it's back more, you know, bigger than ever. Uh, but, you know, there, there was definitely a time with, when data scientists, it's like the uh, late 2000s, early 2010s, when um, all the stuff we're talking about now, building tools around. I mean, this stuff was, it wasn't cool. Yeah, right, if it actually had a browsing problem, right? Didn't they call it new SQL because they were worried that they, they were like, no, we're not mm. like old SQL, we're new SQL, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and it's like, you, you know, you, uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, data warehousing was kind of like the business mullet for a while, you know, it's uh, um, just, it just wasn't cool. So, so one of the things that come, have already come up a lot and, and thinking about skills that data engineers should be focused on, let's talk about data modeling. Because I think, as you mentioned, right, you, you made this, you've been thinking, we've been, all, we've been all thinking about it. I've been talking about it a lot. So have you, 
you wrote this post on LinkedIn a couple of days ago, right? You got like a hundred comments about it. Like, why is it resurging? How, how much should all data engineers be learning data modeling or should a certain type who are interested and, and, and how do you actually start? What are, what are, what are, how are you, how are you seeing this? I would say that they at least need to be aware of its existence. Let's start with that. It's, it's actually talking with a, you know, a, he's a famous data modeler. I'll leave it at that. He's, um, over the weekend about this and he was like oh i, I thought everyone knew data modeling is like you'd be you'd be shocked I, I would i would reckon probably matt and i our estimation is in our in our conversations with engineers and data engineers and software engineers and so forth the, the number of people in data scientists the number of people who know, know data modeling i would i would guesstimate is like maybe 20 percent that we talk to maybe or acutely aware of like practices around it how to do it and so forth. People may have heard of it, but it's because um, he was he was actually commenting on on uh, chapter eight of our book. He's like, your your chapter is very confusing. I don't understand your sequence of of how, why you put stuff the way you did. And I was like, I, I think it comes from our experience of of talking to people and understanding that we kind of need to meet them where they are. Um, you know, we're we're introducing a lot of the concepts the way we did. Um, because I, I think there's a, a general lack of recognition of data modeling. He's like, why did you include uh, Inman in there? And I was like, well, for one, Inman gets conflated with Kimball in a lot of cases, and there, there are different ways of viewing the world. And, uh, can, um, um, Inman is very much a data warehousing paradigm, but unless you know uh, third normal form, for example, um, you wouldn't be able to do a, maybe an, uh, an Inman warehouse, for example, right? And, and you know, but then unless you knew how to do, uh, you know, what a data mart is, for example, it, you know, it's sort of, you won't know the natural progression from that to a Kimball data warehouse, which is basically a data mart. And so that's why we included it in there. But it just said that I think the lack of recognition is the first set start and making people aware that yes, you can model data. Cause for the longest time it was like um, wide tables or just sort of, um, you know, reports were simply just, uh, you know, kind of at, made from ad hoc queries. Um, so I would start there, Matt, what do you, what do you have to think? Uh, add about I, that? I think, I think another major problem is that while there's a lot to learn, from the sort of data modeling classic approaches like Kimball and Inman in third normal form, for the most part, you shouldn't be using those data modeling techniques with modern tools. So in other words, there is a technology element here. Third normal form doesn't play very nice with columnar databases, which is where technology has gone. And that's not to say there's- Analytical there's technology. Anal analytical, yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely, analytical technologies, yeah. But there, that's not to say that you just denormalize everything. We, we used to like give some Google training for Google BigQuery, which is columnar, and they would just say, oh, we'll just denormalize your data. And I'm like, what does that even mean? I have no idea what it means to just denormalize everything. And so I think part of what we need to do is synthesize the classic techniques and then sort of update them to say, yes, you're going to have joins in here, but but don't split everything into joins. Figure out when when you use other types, when you keep things in one table, when you split things out. We just need a more intelligent, modernized conversation about some of these ideas, I feel like. But there's a separation, though, I think, Matt, where it's on one hand, it is the um, if you look at the, the essence of what data modeling is trying to achieve, it, it's relating um, business concepts and definitions to relations among data, exactly. right? Exactly. It's yes. essentially what it is. But now... But when you look back at the classics, you know, when, when Bill came up with the data warehouse, it was because people were querying OLTP systems um, and that was wreaking havoc on them. That's why he separated out data integration into a warehouse upon which you could do your analytics. Um, and, and same with Kimball, right? It, it's taking data from, um, you know, a non-OLTP source or different sources and integrating them into a, uh, you know, in this case, dimensional model. It, so it's but what's happened over the, the last uh, few decades is, is 
I find very fascinating because they're trying to shoehorn in um, these relational modeling or dimensional modeling techniques as well into um, technologies where the, I guess the same problems don't really apply as much, right? Uh, you know, and, and so the thing that, you know, Matt and I have been talking about is, well, what, what's next in data modeling? Um, exactly. You know, the, the, the essence of data modeling, I don't think, goes away where you're trying to, again, achieve, um, you know, uh, definitional co coherence amongst your various data assets. But, but how you achieve this, I think, is open to, open to I think, a renewed way of thinking. Um, For sure. Yeah. You know, well, when you have streaming data sets or graph databases or these um, or any number of new databases, it's like, do we have to religiously adhere to the old ways of doing things? Well, I, th I think when it comes to data modeling, there's two aspects, right? There is the people, the human aspect, and then there yeah. is the technical side. So data modeling is as much as of a science as it is as an art. Oh, yeah. And I think you, you, you define a data model and you ask people, does this look good? Do you like this? Whatever. I mean, how do you even, how do you even measure or, or kind of come up with some sort of metrics around, is this a good data model? Right. You can come up with so many different types of ways and, and, and you can ask different people. You can have qualitative approaches to go define that from a quantitative approach. You can say, well, um, it, the query runs uh, better faster, whatever. Oh, but the, writing that query is so complicated. So then the query that is written is much more complicated than the model is. But if yeah. I change the model, then the query may look may less lines of code, but it may execute differently because of it's a row store or column store, whatever, right? But then you have to find this balance. But I, I want this data to be consumed by users and hey, it's okay if they need to go wait 20 seconds instead of two seconds, but they get more value for writing a shorter, cleaner query. I mean, this is the types of stuff that we need to be thinking about. And but how do yep. we do that? We need to understand the we need to understand so much context around that. And if as they, if for data engineers who just go look at this without talking to the rest of the human beings, what are they going to go focus on? On the technology side? Oh, it's a column store and needs to run this fast, and I need to optimize, yep. make sure it runs as fast as possible. So here it is, it's done. Please, data consumer, go look at this data. And they're like, what the fuck does that mean? I have no idea what I go do. Well, here's a bunch of queries that you can go use. But and then you start depending and then you go go back. Right. Because yep. it's this balance. And, 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 and my rant basically is to say it's not an easy problem. And, it, and it's not something that we will that, that, it, that will find technology to solve it. It really is. I think people need to really understand that it's an art and the science. And this will and, and we've kind of just thrown it, thrown it aside. And that's, we can't. Yeah, I mean, it's hard work, right? And, and I mean, if you read back in, in Kimball's book, uh, you know, building the um, our, uh, data warehouse toolkit, um, the, the, the step of dimensional, uh, so, you know, the four-step process of dimensional modeling, the first one is, um, you know, model the business process, right? And as he points out too, the, the uncomfortable truth about this is you have to, you know, gasp, go talk to people. Um, you know, it's, it's much easier to sit behind your keyboard and, you um, you know, and draw out diagrams all day about what a model should look like. But simply taking the, the time to go talk to people is, uh, you know, that's, that's something, again, back to, back to, um, you know, the people process of technology. These are the kinds of skills I wish were taught more is, you know, and in our book, we hit on this too. And he, at the end of each section, there's a, who, who are you working with section where we talk about sort of upstream and downstream, who are you working with, who, um, and, and this is there for a reason because uh, time and time again, uh, We've rarely seen data projects fail because of technical reasons. I don't think I've ever seen one actually fail because of a technical um, reason. That's solvable. Um, where we've seen data projects fail uh, countless times is, um, you know, the data team isn't aligned with the people um, 
for whom they're they're supposed to serve. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And to your point, Juan, about the thing about modern data modeling, what I often tell people is instead of just trying to normalize everything, which is the old school approach, what you should do is look for data that's going to be recycled across many different queries and many different sub-organizations within your company. That's the stuff that should be pulled out. So for example, if I have customer data, you wouldn't embed that inside another table because you're going to use it all over the company to understand your customers, right? So that should be a separate table. And that is data modeling reflecting human processes. And that's, yes, you need scientific principles, exactly like you said, but then like, how do you, the, the craft part, like the art of understanding how your company works, that's that's one of the hardest things to actually achieve. It's not well, easy yeah. for engineers. And one, one of our friends, John, he, he said, you know, the first thing he does when he starts at a new company is he, he asks, how do we make money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, you hit the point that I'm bringing up all over and over again, which is what I'm calling business literacy. Every yep. data professional, IT tech person needs to understand how this company makes money, understand the business process, understand the people around it. And then you understand where the data systems go on. And then you like realize, oh, that's why you want that data because I get all this contest and I should be talking to the person on this side with that right. Under Follow the money. Understand how that goes. This is what we need. The business business literacy. All data tech IT people need to understand business literacy, not just data literacy. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it's underrated, right? I mean, again, if you go back to how, um, and we both, we, we, Matt and I teach, and I think you teach as well. And, and, and the thing is, uh, um, you know, how, how often is this taught? Say, say you get a, like an MSIS program or um, computer science or Anything like that, right? These are notoriously, um, you know, sort of shoegazy type uh, um, degrees, right? Communication, I don't know that that's ever taught. Uh, you know, maybe you take a class in pair programming, you know, you're in computer science, but uh, MSIS, I think it, it seems like it's very much what you do, your capstone project at the end where you might have to go get requirements, but that's businesses will tolerate you for that just to, you know, uh, maybe get something out of you. And, uh, but, you know, I've seen enough of these where, you know, but I wish this is, but the, what, where I see it falling short is the students really, um, they end up frustrating the, uh, the capstone sponsors because they, they don't know the questions to ask or they're, they're, they can't ask them in the right way. And it's, it's a hard skill. I can't blame the students. Right. Um, but asking good questions is, uh, it's very difficult. Yeah. I think that should be taught more. Yeah. That's a, that's another key skill that we should, we should add to our list here. Um, so just a, a brief call out to uh, our, our sponsor. So this, this episode is brought to you by Data.World, the data catalog for your data mesh, a whole new paradigm for data empowerment. To learn more, go to data.world. Um, and before we go to sort of our lightning round and start to bring it home with takeaways and things like that, one other topic that's super interesting is around um, life cycle the life cycle of data hmm. and just curious from from you matt from you joe like how do you think about the life cycle of data and how do you think about the role of data engineers both sort of you know past and future around the life cycle of data yeah that is a good question so so i think i think early on Data engineers back in the early days of relational databases understood this fairly well. You bring in data, you transform it, you do something with it. And I think the technology obsession of the 2000s led us to lose 
side of that. And so really that was part of our goal was to like bring people back to those fundamentals of what data engineering is all about. And so that is the central theme of the book. And once you have that framework, then you can build out the details of how you're actually going to execute that, right? But you have to start with start with where you want to end up. You have to start thinking about what you're actually trying to achieve before you throw a bunch of technology at a problem. What are your thoughts, well, Joe? And I think, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, when, when we wrote the book, we, we thought about, okay, so, um, you know, earlier books like uh, Designing Data Intensive Applications, I think was, was a great uh, data engineering book and still continues to be. And, you know, hopefully the next edition is, is fantastic. Um, and, and Martin, incidentally, was uh, Martin Kleban, the author of that book, was one of our tech reviewers. And, and so... You know, we felt like, um, you know, we, I think we're hitting on some good topics with, with our book. Um, but you know, why I bring his book up is interesting because at that time, I think 2016, 2017, data engineering was in a much different place. Uh, you know, it was still very technical. You still had to understand the underlying guts of the systems you were using. Whereas, you know, if fast forward to today, I mean, do you really need to understand, uh, if you're running Snowflake, right? Do you under, need, need to understand how like uh, clocks work, um, you know? You might, but I, I would wager that that's um, or how uh, um, you know Paxos works or some like, distributed algorithm, right? Like that's I think it's it's good for you to know this stuff, but it, it's not necessary for you to do your job and run Snowflake, which is what a lot of data engineers run these days, um, or equivalent platforms, right? Um, Databricks and so forth. And so, what's happened is technology has become increasingly abstracted. Um, you know, it's it's SaaS based. Uh, you know, if you're if you're an engineer that happens to work at one of these companies, I would I would hope that you understand the stuff in designing data intensive applications. But, you know, but if you're not, uh, you know, I, I would say that you know, it comes down to lifecycle management now, right? And what what Matt really alluded to with um, enterprise data engineering, it's now that you have um, you know the kind of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you're not focusing as much on like you know system survival, so to speak. You can you can move up towards more self actualization of of, um, you know, being a data engineer. And what this means is, you know, um, I, I think this is in part why you're seeing a, a, uh, um, a lot of interest in things like, um, you know, enterprise -y techniques, um, such as governance and cataloging and quality stuff that even a few years ago, people would probably throw you out of the room for talking about it. It's like, why are you talking about this? this isn't data engineering. This is stuff that enterprises do. This is like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, but now you have the opportunity to do this and what's, What's happening is it's forcing, um, you know, I, I think a, a recognition of things that have worked in the past and things that will hopefully work in the present and the future, right? That's why you're hearing about data modeling now. I think it's it's to cover up for a lot of the, um, maybe the past mistakes that we've, uh, you know, kind of let uh, languish as well. Uh, you know, a, a good data model goes a long way towards, I think, eliminating the need for quite a few, um, you know, uh, tools around the modern data stack ecosystem that now are sort of monkey patching the, the lack of rigor um, you know, that, that, and so, you know, but I think lifecycle management is, is a really big thing. And that's increasingly where we see data engineers focusing on, uh, where that leads to in the future, I think is open to debate. I have my own supposition in the, in the last chapter that uh, data engineering might go away as a title. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. Let's follow up on that one. Mm. What, what, what are the type, I mean, Data engineering, yeah, data scientists, or I mean, now we're talking about analytics engineering. We're talking about data product managers. Like, um, I mean, I like to call this also the, no the the knowledge engineers or the knowledge scientists. Like, where 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 is this evolving? And 
Um, there's a couple of ways it's evolving, I would say, because of abstraction, right? So you saw this with data science. Uh, every, every title you see in data science was actually a title that existed before, um, right? So, but it sort of lumped into this thing called data. The same thing happened with data engineering, frankly. It's like this used to be ETL developer, BI engineer, software engineer, um, systems engineer, distributed systems engineer, and so forth, right? This is like now a data. Um, it's kind of a catch-all term. But I think, you know, we have a chance to, to move back towards, um, you know, more specialized titles. At the same time, what's happening is, you know, you're seeing a convergence of um, software and application development with data. Um, I, was a little, I was talking to a, the last person I talked to right before our podcast. He's, he was a software engineer and he works with data now. And he's like, yeah, I mean, a lot of the practices that I'm seeing are the, the two are melding together to the point where they may be indistinguishable from each other in you know, several years from now. And then you also look at machine learning. That that itself is is becoming more inter, interwoven with uh, both software and um, you know machine learning. So I think what, what you're seeing, what's been being um, you know the practices that a lot of the big tech companies I think are, are trickling down to the masses. So you, those practices and the capabilities will be democratized um, to a large extent. And so um, it may morph into something that we call the live data stack, um, which is simply the uh, sort of the um, you know the, the uh, real time meets. Uh, data engineering meets, um, you know, ML into a fast feedback loop where it's, you don't have these like kind of artificial distinctions anymore, which is just a living, breathing, um, you know, flow of data. But the life cycle is still there, surprisingly enough. That's what's interesting about it. Things so, Matt, get what simpler. You, a yeah. lot of these things actually consolidate together. And mm -hmm. the thing that remains at the end is still the governance, the modeling, the working with the business and understanding the business questions, those things kind of get left over and, and, and yep. don't really disappear. There, there's kind of a heads up for, for next week's episode. We're going to have another author of an O'Reilly book, which is uh, a Ole, um, get his last name, Ole Olixen, Ole, Ole Olison, who's the author of the, oh, the, coming, catalog. the catalog book. Okay. And, and okay. Cool. I've, been, I've been chatting with him a lot. And one of the things he's brought up on life cycles is, POSMAT. This comes from the information library sciences. It's like plan, obtain, store, and share, maintain, apply, and dispose. And, uh, and nice. it's going to be a phenomenal episode next week because he is coming in from the library and information sciences point of view. And that's cool. We've been talking about, like, when I talked to him, he's like, wow, yeah, that's true. And he's like, well, this is just our bread and butter in life sciences and in, 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 in information library sciences. Like, and then you, you see the entire data engineering kind of community industry going on. They've completely ignored and not and ignored in a sense because they were not aware about this stuff. And it's really hard to understand everything that's out there. Right. And that's why we need to have these conversations that get people involved. And, and also yeah. why diversity is so important. Bring people from different areas. I, I think of it like MMA, right? So like you have a, a library science person and it's like, I think that's cool. Like I, Matt knows, I think, I think in, in terms of like fighting or South Park or something kind of weird that way. Um, <laughs> Working out. But <laughs> yeah, but I, I think MMA is a really good example where, um, you know, historically it's been sort of bifurcated into like, oh, you're like a karate guy or you, you're a wrestler or, or whatever, right? And then the UFC comes along and uh, well, like, you know, you find out like it's none of the above, like you got to be kind of good at everything, right? And so... But things evolve, and I think that's that's super cool. Um, you know, I think data mesh is the one thing we didn't talk about, but I think that you know because you're a data mesh company, and um, but I actually think that that holds a lot of promise. Um, and it's interesting. I was reading uh, 
been reading a lot of books on um, actually the old historical ones on lean, like the original text, like lean thinking and so forth. What I find interesting is that um, if you hearken back to uh, DevOps, microservices, agile, a lot of them find inspiration in lean, really. And what that means is continuous flow, right? Batch, batch is actually a bad practice in lean. That's an anti-pattern. So you don't do batch. Um, and it's very low tech, right? At the end of the day, uh, lean is about learning to see things. It's not technology. In fact, it's probably the lowest tech practice there is. Um, but it yields a lot of value, obviously. And I, what I see is that whole mentality is trickling down into, you know, software with DevOps and now um, data, you know, and, and data mesh, I think, is, is um, you know, sort of a continuum of that where it's, um, you know, in lean, you want things to be uh, centered around, um, you know, cu cu uh, customers at the end of the day, not departments. So it eliminates silos, just like you would in data mesh. And so this is, but I think that something like the live data stack actually facilitates that because it's a continuous flow of information among different domains, perhaps. Um, that's what you want. Uh, batch and queue is a cardinal sin, um, which is, you know, the centralization of such, which is why, um, you know, uh, data mesh came about. So it's an exciting world and who knows what will happen. I'm pretty so Matt, what do you, what do you think about uh, the future of data engineering? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so what I'll say about traditional data engineering, like ETL developers and DBAs and everything, is that we've really had relational data until at least the 16th, going back at least to the 16th century, right? Like think about double entry bookkeeping, maybe further back than that. People are keeping track of transactions. We're always going to have that kind of structured data that we have to deal with. And we're always going to have batch use cases where it's like, yeah, I need to know about what happened with my business in the last 30 days. You know, Venetian merchants needed to know how much merchandise came on an, in on a ship and how much they got paid for it. But the evolution is, is along the lines of what Joe is saying, like more real time and then just more and more unstructured data. I mean, look at what's happening yeah. with like TikTok, YouTube, um, Spotify, like podcasts, stuff like we're doing right here. We're just generating a flood of unstructured data and we're still actually not very good at processing it. Like we're very excited about these advances in machine learning, but there's a lot more to come in the next decade. That's and so that's what I'm excited, excited about. about. Oh, I mean, okay. I'll say I, I wrote, I wrote a newsletter, like kind of rant about this last week. I both excited and kind of terrified. I'm like, okay, but as our machine learning gets better, what are social media companies going to do to us next or what are we going to do to ourselves? That's, that's well, what I'm wondering. So. Well, this is an interesting point. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I'm not sure I agree with you because yes, we're, we're generating a bunch of more data, much of more in unstructured data. I mean, pictures and sound and all that stuff, but what we, what we're seeing more from the, from the machine learning side is that we're not focusing on all the structured tabular data. Like, and, and, and I think if we look at machine learning, all the, all the machine learning kind of data sets and people who do things is like, here's a bunch of pictures, a bunch of, but Here's a bunch of databases, structured relational databases. Go do something with not just a table, right? Here is a table. Here's a database that has thousands of tables. And go, go do something with that. Like, oh, I turn it into a denormalized table. To do that. Well, for me to go turn that into a denormalized table, I got to understand what that means. And, like, and then we come in, we go back into like the issues that we're talking about today. And I think, the, it, so I've worked so much in my life, my career on schema matching. And this is a problem that we've been trying to go automate academically. We don't even talk about this. Like we don't talk about this today. Like it, it, it's embedded somehow in transformations, but with it, transformations take this entire blob of knowledge and you put it into some, some SQL query now, basically, which is a rule. But what you really want to go say is that I should be able to go think, Hey, this thing X is actually mapped to Y and, or some combination of what is the most granular thing. But 
We don't think about it that way because it's a hard problem. And second, we want to go automate that. And it's so hard to automate because we don't have clean labeled data to go do that. And I think this, I think that's the breakthrough that we're missing. And we won't be able to get there because we lack yet, because we lack a lot, a lot, a lot of metadata. We have a lot of data. So we can do record linkage and stuff. But we don't have a lot of metadata. And but having said all this, I think we're starting to now catalog and generate more metadata and keeping track of that, which we didn't do before. So that's why I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm very happily kind of getting more excited that, well, we could actually have some breakthroughs on this, but this is a big problem that we're not looking into. And I think that's where we, where, where we need to have more breakthroughs. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I guess what I would say is that I don't, I don't think uh, the structured data side is going to get any smaller. I think what we'll see instead is just an expansion of data across the board. And to your point, like all, all the problems around tabular data are still really, really hard. I mean, this is something you worked on at a previous company, right, Joe? And it was, well, several it was really, really hard. Companies like, yeah, I tried to do uh, AutoML, um, you know, on tabular data. So AutoML <laughs> on, on images and video, I think, is relatively simpler than tabular data. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the, the big difference is um, tabular data, okay, all data is human generated, right? Uh, but... Um, at the end of the day, tabular is, is um, I would say, tricky because um, it's it's human generated. It, it's got some sort of a purpose behind it um, that's different from free flowing text, images, audio, et cetera, right? And that's where I think that the major difference is. And algorithms are notoriously, um, you know, fickle at parsing this stuff. I mean, XGBoost is still, I think, like the best rated algorithm that came out a, a long time ago. But, you know, deep learning, I think, is um it's just hard to pick out the subtleties in tabular data it's insanely hard from a machine learning perspective um if you doubt me go try it um yeah. especially on unseen data sets it's like very hard uh, to get yeah. to make rhyme or reason out of it um it's full of mistakes uh tabular data sucks i, I would say if you wanted to like um have a like a really fun time um you know play with tabular data and, and so i guess the question is how much it, it, the, the question I, I have is like how much data really does need to be tabular at the end of the day or are we doing that because it's convenient? I mean, I think in, in, in our world, in our organizations, we live a lot with tabular data, right? I think that's, that, that's what's always front and center. But, um, but I think, yeah, this is a good, good question. And, and at the end of the day, I always yeah. ask myself, like, we go back and everything ends up being tabular. Uh, I, I, I'm organizing this this uh, academic workshop in, a, in, in next year where we're getting together to talk about why do we always go off and think about all these data models. The graph graphs has existed for so long, and there and there's so many versions of graphs and and JSON and XML, there are trees and stuff, but we always end up back in tables, uh, and it's fascinating how we always do that. And, and, and but we go off and build all these things, but we end up back in tables. So what is it that uh, us as humans, we we just why tables and humans? Like, what what, what is the the, the the fixation about this? I, I don't know. But um, well, I mean, the, uh, pixels pixels are actually um, it's a table. Yeah. So this is a, so. this meeting and organized. It's called the Why of Knowledge and Data Models. You know, oh, cool. Well, let us know when that happens. It sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. Pop in. All right. This, this, this is something that we, we can keep talking for hours. You guys are so yeah. Well, I might enjoy talking to you guys all the time. So. Uh, we, Look forward to actually doing this live one day, uh, yeah. like in, person, in person. But we got to we got to hit our, our lightning round now. So uh, let's uh, move to the lightning round, which is presented by Data.World, the, the data catalog for your successful cloud migration. I'll kick it off. So you mentioned Inman, Kimball. They don't apply perfectly to the modern analytics landscape. 
is there a new modeling paradigm that will that will emerge? Uh, TBD. Uh, I'll say there will be that. So yes, yeah. I think in the near future. Right, but Joe said first TBD. Matt said he first yes. Matt says yes. <laughs> I, prefer, I think it's coming. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm working on something right now. So we'll talk oh. about it when it's a bit more ready. Yeah, I like that. You'll have to share more as uh, as that keeps evolving. I, I liked yeah. your comment about like, well, how does streaming and some of this other stuff fit in? So I think it's interesting to think about the big yeah, picture. Yeah, this is a clue. Yes. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Um, so second question, um, you both kind of mentioned about data engineering, like as, as the tooling gets easier, as the technology gets more advanced, uh, the data engineering maybe is actually going to disappear potentially as a title or as a role. Um, curious about, you know, we're seeing this rise of analytics engineering and curious to see, you know, do you see this sort of like moving to analytics BI, the business questions, you know, a little bit more of that analytics engineering flavor. Do, do you see that as being a likely successor or a likely shift here? Maybe Matt, if you want to start. Um, what I'll say is that I see kind of a fragmentation of the data engineering role happening. And so maybe that's where the title is going to go away. I think analytics engineers are likely to take over a lot of work done by data engineers right now, especially making sure data is flowing appropriately into the business, into various teams. And then other parts of data engineering will probably either move under ML engineering or get some new title that's like something about ML-oriented data engineering that's a bit more specific. And then you st you're still always going to have these engineers that work on the guts of systems at Snowflake and Google and such. And so maybe we'll find a new title for them because their job is really quite different from what most data engineers are doing. Like, like Joe was saying, we, most data engineers have evolved out of doing that. And yet, if you have these products, then someone has to work on them behind the scenes. Like you need hyper-specialists who are working on these systems. And there's got to be some good title for that. I mean, I don't see analytics engineering as being anything new. It's been around for decades. Yep. What comes around goes around. Yeah. Those who don't read our history are doomed to repeat it. Oh, you just come up with different names for stuff, right? Data engineering is the same way. So, <laughs> but yeah. Marketing is fun. It is fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I say we got to be critical. We got to be critical. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, next question. Yeah. Is the best way for a data engineer to learn modeling, data modeling, is, is it a hands-on experience or can reading your book or a book is, uh, do justice? I don't think reading our book is going to teach you data modeling. It will expose you to the concepts. But as, as we point out, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of books out there that are like 500, 600 pages long. So <laughs> do the hard work. I would say read the books, but also do it like practice it, right? So. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Joe on this one and say you have to go read the classics and then sort of synthesize them into something that you own through a combination of, of thinking and doing. And hopefully yeah. that story will improve over time where there's more of a guided journey so you don't have to go off on your own quite so much. I mean, it's like reading a book on dating at some point. You, you know, you, you can read books on dating or you can go on <laughs> dates and like, so. <laughs> oh my God, this is perfect, right? <laughs> learning data modeling is like learning data, like learning how to go date, right? You can go read the theory, but you got to go practice it. Yeah. I mean, and please don't like read the game or some stupid book like that. So um, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Go read the game. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I know guys who have read that book. I'm just, I just sit there just cringing. I'm like, oh man, it's, it's pretty bad. So, All the secrets. Still single after 12 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh 
All right, last uh, lightning round question here. So, you know, the 2010s kind of saw the rise, especially towards the end of the decade of the data scientist being this like sexy, awesome, critical job. Um, you know, you know, maybe, maybe data engineering longer term is going to disappear or something like that. But in the shorter term, like, is that really actually that sexy, critical job of, of the early 2020s? Is it data engineering? I would say it has been for the last like two to three years. And I think the open question is around economic transformations that we might or not, might not be going through right now. I think that's, we, we've seen a huge talent shortage since maybe at least 2017, 2018, maybe going back further if you include big data engineers. And the question is, do, I, I don't know if we go through a recession or something, does that change the conversation? Maybe it does. Well, I mean, the conversations I'm having with people or, um, you know, cost management comes up a lot, FinOps. And I would say like any data professional engineering or otherwise that uh, understands cost management, um, you, you're going to, you're going to stay employed, hopefully, unless you're yeah. talking employees. So, which could also happen. That's a good skill to add to our list here. Yeah, I just well, added cost right management is a huge one. I would say cost engineering like that. The next wave of startups, I think, that in the data space are going to be at cost management for cloud yep. uh, tools yep. is so opaque. Yeah. Yep. Definitely I mean, the problem is that we there's no proper training for this. And if you kind of came from the previous generation of data engineers, then you were taught performance management. So it's like, how do I optimize more Oracle systems or optimize queries, not cost optimization? It's a different problem. Yeah. And that's when you have to think about people and money and more things, yep. right? And, and that thing changes. This is a... That's the ROI, right? Yeah. Okay, excellent point. All right. TTT, Tim, take us away with takeaways. Go first. All right. So, uh, Matt, you kind of kicked us off with uh, mentioning shiny object syndrome or magpie syndrome when we talked about, you know, where data engineering or data engineers might become very kind of, um, you know, either distracted or very invested uh, from a technology angle around tools. And, you know, I think you, you know, y'all kind of brought up, you know, why did we get into engineering in the first place? It was like being able to do cool stuff with cool technology. And so therefore we're technologists at heart. Like we're, we're interested in this, 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 uh, this discipline of applying technology and, and as technology evolves, that's exciting. And, you know, we want to jump in on the new stuff. And, um, also y'all mentioned about, um, resume driven development and sort of how, you know, as this new tech comes out, uh, we want to take advantage of it, putting it on your resume, whether it's for your own benefit or because employers are looking at that kind of stuff that it becomes, uh, it becomes a focus. Um, and as we adopt new technologies as companies, as enterprises, we, we want to, you know, Oh, we want to implement airflow or something like that. It's okay. Well, let's hire somebody who knows airflow. Right. And, and sometimes it becomes easy to kind of go in that direction or, 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 uh, you, you're wearing a Coursera shirt, right? Like we can, we can take some courses and we can pick up some new skills. So it is nice how easy it is to do that now. Um, and there's a little bit of this lack of emphasis on, um, people in process and, and tech is becoming more and more the easy part. And that leaves open-ended some of the hard stuff, which is more the people in the process stuff. We talked a little bit about history, right? Looking back to especially the big data, um, uh, you know, Hadoop kind of phase of, of things. And that was a great example of where technology was a big part of the conversation. And as, as we've moved past that phase, now we can kind of look back with, with open eyes 2020 on kind of what it really was. And, you know, it was, it was valuable, but, you know, it was, there, there was a bubble that happened, right? And I think now those who know their history want to see that not happen again in the future. 
Um, and uh, we talked about, you know, what skills data engineers are really focused on and, and can, you know, get a lot of value from. And some of the ones that we wrote down were um, assessing questions, like really being able to look at questions and, and answer them and, and, and figure out how to answer them. Um, assessing technologies based on business problems. So not just technology for technology's sake, but the apl applicability of technology given the kind of problem that you're trying to solve. Um, and this mention of enterprise data engineering. So, you know, a lot of this activity around modeling, around cataloging, governance, schema, you know, uh, there was a mention about Maslow's hierarchy. Maybe maybe some of the, like, basic blocking and tackling now is being made a lot easier. We're addressing a lot of that stuff. And now we're being able to handle these and focus on some of these things that are a little higher up the hierarchy. So, you know, that's a, I think that's a good thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, Juan, what about you? Takeaways. Well, really, yeah, let me continue on the skills one, right? We talked a lot yeah. about data modeling, right? This is something top of mind of all of us right now. Uh I like you said, yeah, you're, you're guesstimating that 20% only data engineers around only 20% of them know what data modeling is. Right. And I think this is this, and I would agree with you on this. Um, we, we, we really need to kind of update the classic techniques to the modern world of analytics right now. We were talking about how it's just a, a, the science and an art. And there's the stuff that we need to go kind of figure out given the state of today. Um, we need to learn how to go talk to people. Communication is key. Like where is this happening? Where are you actually teaching this? Like if you get a computer science degree, you're not, I, I mean, I have a, I did computer science for a long time. No, no communications. Uh, but is this happening in MIS or stuff? Like, I think this is a key thing about communication. And one that just came up was cost management. This is a, this is a, maybe focused before performance management, cost management is next. We talk about what's next for data modeling and Hey, Joe, just put a hint there, right? Is it something about streaming graphs or whatever? So what are the new paradigms on data modeling? Um, something you said that I fully agree with data projects don't fail for technical reasons. It's because the data teams are not aligned with the people they need to go serve. So they fail for the people in the process, not for the technology. The whole life cycle of data, right? In the, in the early days, it was well understood, right? We had to go bring data, we transform it, we go use it. But I think we've given so much technology right now, it's really distracted us. And we need to go focus on kind of self-actualization of data engineers. And, and now we have cataloging and governance and modeling. So how does this fit in the life cycle of data? Um, we have all these roles where there'll be a consolidation of these roles in the future. Yeah, looks like I think we agree that there could, that there will be. And then finally, we talked about the tabular and structured data. And it's so hard to pick up the subtleties of, of tabular data. There's, and I think personally, I think there's a big challenge and future opportunity yeah. there and how much data actually needs to be tabular. One random thing that you said earlier on, I love this. Legacy is a condescending way to refer to something that makes a lot of money. I love that. That. I'm going to close with that. Matt, Joe, what, how, how did we do? Anything we missed? That's, that's good. This is a great chat. Thank you for having yeah, us on. Fun. All right. Yeah. Throw it back to you guys. Uh, three questions. What's your advice about data, about life? Uh, who should we invite next? And third, what resources do you follow? People, blogs, newsletters, books? Obviously, go get your book, but what else? Matt, do you want to give the advice part? Yeah, um, I'll actually give some, I'll just give advice for aspiring data engineers. And it goes back to an internal conversation that we had at Turnery Data this morning. Um, we were talking about lifelong learning and how you really have to be a self-learner and a lifelong learner to su succeed in data engineering. And so going back to the conversation that we were just having about people in process, I feel like if you want to be a successful data engineer, you start by learning the people in process stuff, which hopefully you can learn from our book. Now, this is what I'll tell you. Our book will not teach you data engineering, right? That's truly bizarre for a book that's about the fundamentals. Rather, it's meant to give you foundations so you can start that lifelong learning journey 
and get into the profession. So learn about people and process, learn the big picture, and then embark on the journey of actually learning the technology and learning the practices to be successful, if that's what you'd like to do. As far as uh, who, who you'd invite on, I would, um, I'm going to recommend Bill Inman. Um, he's, he's working on some really cool stuff with text right now. And, uh, you know, I, I um, he's, he's a very good friend of mine. I'm, I'm always inspired by him. I, I think I, I, I can only hope that when I'm his age, I'll, uh, you know, be contributing a fraction of what he is right now, um, you know, on a daily basis to the, the data world. I, I really feel like he's um, still at the top of his game, which is it's really cool. So I, I, I would be truly honored to, to, to meet him. And I'm, 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 yes, look forward to cool. connecting with you and, and have him on the show for sure. Yep. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. And finally, what, what resources do you all follow? Uh, let me see. Uh, lots I'll of stand up comedians. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, so Ben Stansel in the data space. I think Ben is awesome good. and ben he's very awesome. focused on the fundamentals. Um, I'm going to give you two other names that you're probably familiar with that are not technically in data. Um, one is Kelsey Hightower. I think Kelsey Hightower mostly worries about containers and other technologies, but he's super, super pragmatic. And so I think he has a lot of insights that impact data as well. One of my all-time favorite Kelsey Hightower talks is a talk he gave about AWS Lambda when he worked at Google, which is an Amazon competitor, of course. Yeah. Like I, I always feel like I learned something from his talks about data, even if he's not focused on data. Um, one more name on the FinOps side is Corey Quinn. You guys know who Corey Quinn is probably. So totally focused on cloud cost management. Very entertaining. Um, one of my favorite all-time video data YouTube videos is his happy birthday to Larry Ellison video, but be warned, it's not safe for work. So yeah, you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> um, uh, people I'd, I'd recommend following. I mean, there's, there's a lot, you know, um, I think, uh, you know, in, in the LinkedIn uh, filter bubble we're all in, I actually, uh, you know, you guys are, are um, two I'd recommend. And I, I think it's awesome. Um, uh, Ethan Aaron, I, I, I like a lot of the stuff he's coming up with these days. Um, you know, there, there, there's, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of people I, 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 uh, I think of. So, um, yeah, just, just follow, I would say follow all of us and then you'll be exposed Uh for better or for worse to some great data people. So all right, and then finally go get your book. I am I, I damn book, yeah. I, I, just, I just been opening up just random places and I'm like, oh wow, just even I'm I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm really excited. It's a gold mine. I mean I hate to you know be shameless about our book, but I mean a lot of people have read it at this point. I think it's universally gotten like a really good uh really good recommendations. I think the only fault of it is like somebody wrote on Reddit uh, and, you know, and it's Reddit, stick it for what you're worth. But it's like, oh, I already knew all the stuff in the book, so I didn't really get anything out of it. And I was like, that's, that's ah, not ah, a good admission of how awesome you are, you know, but it's not a knock against the book, right? It didn't make you a worse <laughs> person as a result. So I, yeah. I like, I just opened up this right now to this page, 196 on storage. You have a magnetic desk, uh, disc, oh, uh, yeah. right? My, my, my dad started, my dad didn't finish his PhD, went off to IBM in the 1970s and uh, worked on this a lot. His PhD was all applied. So this is so cool. You guys even go into hard disk drives and stuff. So that's awesome. All right. Well, next yep. week, as we said, we're going to have Ole Olson. He's the author of the upcoming O'Reilly Data Catalog book. And I will be live with him. I will be, I'm in Europe cool. next week and I'm going to be with him. Uh, that's going to be fun because we're probably going to be 11 p.m. live 
Well, we're yeah. here drinking some wine, uh, and Tim will be 4 p.m. over here, so it'll be a fun conversation. Uh, with that, uh, thanks as always to our sponsors, Data.World. We get to do this because Data.World supports us, our, the Enterprise Data Catalog. Thank you, Data.World. And thank you, Joe. Thank you, Matt. We, this of course, was anytime. Um, and also, go follow, you, follow your podcast and everything. We love it. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, Monday Morning Data Shop. Cool. All Cheers. right, thanks, guys. This is Catalog Cheers. and Cheers. Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.